Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On the app, on your mobile, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've reached the end of yet another week. We haven't exploded into a fireball uh, thanks to the BBC uh, and their weather reporting. Uh, it turns out that actually it's not as hot as we all thought it was. Uh, they've been telling us all that it's going to be 40 degrees, maybe 45 degrees, maybe 50 degrees in North Africa. Uh, current temperature in Algiers, uh, which of course is in Algeria in North Africa, 32 uh, thanks very much indeed. So stick with Talk TV if you want to know what the real temperature is. It's getting a bit hot in here. Richard Tice is here as well. We've had uh, probably the worst apology of all apologies ever by Simon Jack, the business correspondent uh, of the BBC. Uh, the BBC seems to have turned itself into some kind of propaganda machine. They can't get stories right. Now, is it because they don't want to get them right or is it because they're just so useless they don't know what the truth is anymore? We'll be expanding on that throughout the course of the day. We'll also be commenting on, of course, those three by-elections. Not exactly a triumph for Keir Starmer, he won one out of three, uh, which is not very good going. ULO's proving to be uh, the remarkable kind of uh, differentiation between people who wanted to vote Tory and people who think that Sadiq Khan's idea of expanding the ULO zone into outer London and into parts of uh, Uxbridge and other places uh, is a wrong move. And now he's been punished. So basically, uh, Sadiq Khan has lost Uxbridge for the Labour Party. Well done, Sadiq. The Lib Dems have uh, got a triumph in the southwest, of course. We'll talk about that. That's down in through. But altogether, a very low turnout. Less than 50% of people actually bothered to vote. So that might tell you something as well. Coming up a little bit later on, uh, we'll be talking to Peter Cardwell, who was a rundown on what it means for everybody. Ryan Savey will be here as well. Jonathan Gullis, MP, also joining us. And, of course, the veteran's voice uh, will be coming up as well because uh, Hugh Andre is here uh, for our weekly look at how the veterans are being treated by this government and what we can do to help them. Also, Simon Corder was here because guess what? Do you remember that story that was put out by the BBC that some people might not be going to Europe because they were frightened of the hot temperatures? Well, it turns out not only is that not true, uh, but there's chaos down at Dover because so many people are trying to get on ferries to go to Europe where it's not very hot. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. We tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Let's get it on. <laughs> I mean, it's scarcely... I don't know why the wheels have suddenly come off the BBC. It's quite funny to watch, but I'm getting a bit sick of having to pay for all these people, like Simon Jack, like Justin, whatever his name is, the climate fanatic in Alicante, where he's running around looking for a forest fire, I think, today. Um, Richard Tice is here. Very good morning to you. A very good morning to you. I mean, it's, it's hard to know where to begin. It really it is. It really is. I suppose we should begin... Uh, with the by-elections, because we had the three results there. And uh, look, in a sense, it's remarkable because, yes, the Tories have lost. Mm. uh, They've lost two seats, but unexpectedly, they've held on to Uxbridge. Um, From our own perspective, we've secured more votes than we've ever secured before in a by-election. But what it proves is, so in one by-election, we beat Labour. In another by-election, we beat the Libs. But by-elections are all about tactical voting. Yes. And you've seen it in every single of those three seats. So in the North East... Basically, the majority voted Labour to get rid of uh, the Conservatives. Yes, uh, to the, give them a bloody nose. To give effectively. them a, effectively a bloody nose. Down in the southwest, in Somerton and Froome, 
everybody voted Lib Dem mm. to get rid of the Conservative. Yeah. But on the key issue... But the Labour, lo Labour lost their deposit, didn't they, in the uh, South West? That's right. Yeah. Uh, that's right. And uh, and we beat them in the South West. But the key issue in London, of course, yeah. where uh, it was in Uxbridge, everyone assumed... Because that was the smallest majority that the Conservatives had of about 7,000. Everybody assumed that that would be a walkover for the Labour candidate. You remember the flip-flopping of Keir Starmer? Yes. They suddenly realised ULEZ is a massive, massive, massive issue, the, their planned expansion right. of this, this money-grabbing uh, cash tax on the poor. And incredibly, actually, uh, people voted tactically mm. um, with the Conservatives to ensure that a clear message was sent back to Sadiq Khan and Keir Starmer mm. that the London people of London do not want this ULEZ expansion. I actually believe they don't want ULEZ full stop. No. So it was a pretty remarkable mm. thing. So what people should take away is the power of tactical voting. And this is the second time after a by-election for a council seat in Cambridge City a few weeks ago, where a Conservative was elected for the first time in 12 years, right. who stood purely on not standing for the, the tax on the poor with this congestion charge right. they were planning. So this is really remarkable. It is a, it, um, what I would say to people mm. is actually... Use your vote and vote against these mad uh, cash-grabbing taxes yeah. on the poor, which is all driven and, and by anti -car, the net zero And also anti-car. Uh, sort of yeah, it's all anti-motorist, anti-poor. It's it's a cash grab by Khan, by other councils uh, to make up the coffers. Right. And it's uh, yeah, it's all it's all driven by wrong data, complete yeah. misunderstanding. Here's a question of facts. for you: Do you think, as I do, that an awful lot of this sort of ramping up of the climate? Um, you know, catastrophe was this week because of these elections. Do you wonder if the BBC are fighting this fight because it suddenly went a bit quiet yesterday? You know, because it turned out that all of the kind of uh, you know mad estimates of forty-five degree heat, fifty degree heat in places like Sicily, it wasn't happening, and I, they stopped talking about it. I think all of this is possible. It is the establishment, in every which way, uh. trying to terrify and basically dumb down mm. the people. And in many areas, we're actually seeing. Do you know what? we're rising up. Voters have started to rise up and say, we're not having yeah. it. And you've seen uh, Nigel Farage with the uh, the whole banking scandal at Coots, which has now sort of morphed into mm. NatWest. Yeah. Uh, that is that is essentially, you know, Nigel on behalf of, of tens of thousands of people has risen up and he's called them out on it. And it's utterly remarkable. You've seen, you've seen the chief exec of NatWest, a bank of 19 million customers, have to do a groveling apology to Nigel. You've see, they've got um, a Facebook page of 10,000 NatWest customers who've had their accounts shut. Right. They've all put in or are putting in subject access requests. So this is a disaster, not just for Coots, yeah. but for uh, Well, I saw Piers Morgan last night and you were on the show. That's right. He's going to write, he's written to them to say not That's only does right. he want them on his show, but he's not sure, he, although he did, he did say he wasn't sure if he was going to go for the for the access documents. But, but he's questioning whether or not he should keep his account there. Absolutely right. People are absolutely appalled by this. And there's another breaking story before we get on to uh, uh, dear old Simon mm. Jack. Yeah. So in the Telegraph this morning, online, I think it is, not in the paper, Simon Heffer, a well-known journalist, yeah. he's written the fact that because he was a friend of Nigel, just a friend, mm. um, who he bumps into a couple of times a year, when he would try to, to top up his pension with a well-known financial services company called Standard Life, yeah. uh, a couple of months ago, they phoned him up and says, well, we're not really sure we want your top up because you're a friend of Nigel Farage. Incredible. I mean, I'll just repeat that. Right. The whole city of London 
is embroiled in this absolute outrage. You've got a pension firm, Standard Life, yeah. saying, I'm not sure I want your money because you're a friend of Nigel. I mean, it's utterly, utterly bewildering I mean, and and as, and as he writes, Simon, he says, a lot of my friends do not even know I'm a friend of Nigel Farage, so how on earth did people in the financial services industry who handle the highly confidential, highly confidential area of my investments know it? And why, to put it bluntly, was it any of their business? It's none of their business. Right. So does that mean that Standard Life are literally spying? On Simon Heffer. Right. So I've tweeted out today to the chief executive, one Stephen Bird, mm. of Standard Life. Yeah. He needs to explain. He needs to apologise. Yeah. I tell you what, we are going to take on these people Absolutely. in these financial services. We're calling them out. I've written two subject access requests yes. to Metrobank and to Tide Bank. We are absolutely steaming furious with these people. Yes, and so you should be. And thank goodness for you and Nigel Farage and the other people who will, will join the fight because this is absolutely outrageous. It's typical, you know, of what is the worst aspect of British class life. Yeah. It's the worst aspect of the sort of old boys network. You're not one of us. Therefore, we can't talk to you. We can't invite you into the club. And quite frankly, we don't, we'd rather you didn't exist. The BBC is run like that. The city apparently is run like that. What an absolute outrage. It is. Ab I mean, it really is. And, but we've got to have the courage to put our head above the parapet. And if it's happened to anybody who's listening or watching, if you've yeah. suddenly had a, any form of account shut yeah. or anything strange happen, send in a subject access request. You can get a template mm. online and, and just ask the right questions. We have to do this. We have to fight back. Yeah. We it's, have to take uh, back otherwise, control, basically. We have basically have to take back control of our freedom, mm. our liberty, yeah. our democracy. Because let's face it, these financial organisations are only really running as a result of the money that we give them in good faith so that they can actually invest it and make more money for us. Without our money, they wouldn't have a business. And in some of these businesses, like now, it's our money that propped them up after mm. their appalling well, failures even more back directly. in 2008. Yeah, even more directly. So the taxpayer still owns almost mm. 39% of NatWest. When it, when it turned out they couldn't even do what, what it said on the tin, yeah. which was to run a banking organisation without running into debt. But there's another key thing here, which yeah. is that the, the chief exec of NatWest, who has written a grovelling letter of apology mm. to Nigel, the night before Simon Jack broke the story mm. about whether or not Nigel was wealthy enough to be a, a customer of Coots. Yeah. He, he broke that story at 10 o'clock on, on one morning. Uh, the previous night, he sat next to this lady, Dame mm. Alison Rose, the yes. chief exec of NatWest, at a dinner. Seems a bit of a coincidence, it does. doesn't it? And worse than that, it was a BBC dinner. It was a dinner that was uh, put on by the BBC, presumably at our expense, uh, which the great and the good were invited to sit around uh, and trash everybody they didn't like. Um, and we apparently are supposed to live with that. We're supposed to put up with that. Simon Jack this morning has finally broken cover and put his head out of the foxhole that he's been sitting in for the last three days and given what can only be described as the world's worst apology, not an apology at all. He has said the headline on the Farage story, I mean, you can't even say Nigel Farage, has been clarified and an update posted. It should have been clearer at the top that the reason for Mr Farage's account being closed was commercial was what a source told the BBC. That has been corrected. So nowhere in there is the word sorry. Uh, nowhere in, the, in there is the words I was misled by my source. Nowhere in there uh, is any kind of clarification of how he got it so wrong. It's unbelievable. I mean, he is an individual yeah. and he should have the decency and the, the moral integrity as a human being on this planet to say, I got it wrong, Nigel. 
I'm very sorry. Yes, in the way that actually John Sopel did. In the way did. that John Sopel did, and he did address him as Nigel. And, and you know, he, he just said, I'm sorry. So why Simon Jack finds it so hard mm. uh, to use that simple word, when you've completely messed up, screwed up and got it wrong, right. just say sorry. Don't try and mealy mouth cover it up yeah. like some weasel. Yes, I've said Simon knows Jack about apologising, <laughs> which I think is quite clear, even for me at this time of the morning. But, I mean, what the hell is the BBC doing? Are they employing liars? Are they employing oh, well. people who actually, you know, when they apply for the job, they say, look, how good are you at lying? Oh, brilliant. Great. You can have the job. How good are you apologise? No, I never apologise. Fine. You're you, absolutely in. You, you could be the business you're editor. You're the man for the job. Yeah. How, how do you feel about Alicante? Yes, very hot there. Off you go. You could be the climate editor. Well, I mean, just... Uh, I mean, some clowns running this place. It's unbelievable. Well, maybe after the break, we'll talk about the climate thing, because that is we absolutely scandalous. We absolutely should. We've got to take a little break. Uh, Richard Tice is here. Uh, if you're working for the BBC, uh, if I were you, I would hang my head in shame and resign immediately. It is clearly a bankrupt organisation full of overpaid, overstaffed idiots. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Um, I'm not joking when I say the BBC seems to have become some kind of ridiculously out of control propaganda machine uh, because not only are they con- uh, convinced that Nigel Farage uh, doesn't have any money, which is incorrect, uh, not only did they get it wrong about Coots, which they haven't apologised for, uh, but now uh, there's a trending subject, Alicante, uh, on Twitter today. <laughs> um, we raised this yesterday, actually, and I'd like to take some credit for this, uh, but defund the BBC have said BBC Climate climate editor travels to Spain to report on heatwave. Justin Roller, the climate editor, who's been telling us all week that it's going to be 40-odd degrees in Alicante. Everyone's on there saying it's 30 or it's 32 or it's 31. I mean, it's just, they must be willfully doing this. No, it's Well, it's not only willfully, it's actually deliberate. They are deliberately trying to terrify and scare people. Right. It's all part of the climate agenda. Mm. And it, this is, I mean, this is deliberate misinformation. This isn't a mistake. It's not a, a decimal point somewhere. They are, uh, they're in some cases, five to seven to ten degrees yeah, wrong. Absolutely I mean, right. 20, 30, BBC, 40%. BBC, BBC Weather is a Twitter account uh, run by the BBC. It calls itself the official BBC Weather account run by presenters and producers uh, with 552,000 followers. So it's quite an influential site. But, but we're paying for them. But we're it's paying getting, for these incompetent And here's calls. what they said two days ago. Another scorching day ahead in southern Europe. Whilst temperatures won't be as high as yesterday in northern Spain, we could see highs, could see highs of 46 or 47 for the islands of Sardinia and Sicily. And once again, it's got... North Africa at 48, which we like, told you at the beginning of the show, it's 32 there at yeah. the moment. <laughs> at midday in Algiers, it's 32. 32. It's nowhere near 48. And in Alicante, they've got it at 45. It's never been hotter than 33. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And so I put a tweet out uh, asking for people across continental Europe as to what it was like, what yeah. the temperature was like. I had hundreds of people saying, it's just like normal. Mm. Maybe a little bit hot here, a little right. bit hot there, but nothing... Uh, nothing exceptional, nothing extreme. In Italy, the only reference to the weather in the newspapers was their total and utter bemusement as to what the British media were doing, yeah. talking nonsense. I know. It's incredible, isn't and it? Then, as we uh, said. And we also, they, they also put a story out the BBC the other day saying that people were cancelling their holidays. They were not going to Europe because they were so worried about the heat. Literally, the queues are three hours long uh, with people in cars at Dover trying to get through uh, the, 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 the various different ferry ports that they want to use. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. So then uh, yesterday, they put a tweet out, BBC Weather, that we're paying for. These people are supposed to be professional. It said that Malaga had its hottest record day ever. Oh, yeah. At 42.2 degrees centigrade. 
was then corrected by one Alex Wheatley, who said actually uh, there have been at least three or four occasions where it's been over 44, uh-huh. at which point the BBC Weather then replied, oh, well spotted. I'm so sorry, Alex. This was a typo on my part. A actually, typo? A typo. And so they basically increased the temperature by two degrees to make it a record. Yeah, it's easy to do that because when you're typing, you know, it's hard sometimes to tell the difference between four and two. And sometimes you can make it 44 instead of 42. But this is sometimes fine. you can transpose the numbers. It's only 24, but it comes out as 42 yeah, at the other end of the maybe BBC. Maybe if you're an eight-year-old typist, but yeah. not actually if you're a professional that's been paid to do a proper job. And maybe... You should be doing a bit of fact-checking. Yeah. They've got a new fact-checking service. Why well, don't what they about Mariana Spring, the disinformation specialist who's been on holiday in Italy uh, for the past couple of weeks? Enjoying herself. Yeah, enjoying herself. And a couple of nice pictures of her standing on a balcony overlooking the town. Um, and she doesn't appear to have suffered any heat uh, uh, stroke or anything like that. She's apparently coming back. I suggested to her yesterday, uh, when she does come back, there's quite a lot to do. Uh, there's obviously <laughs> the Hugh Edwards debacle. Uh, there's now the uh, Simon Jack nonsense. And now there's the weather problem. And this is, I mean, this is unbelievable. I mean, that, that little typo that you just sort of mm. uh, gaily referred to. I mean, it's not actually a typo. You're talking about 5% difference. Yeah. You're supposed to be accurate. Exactly. The BBC, if we can't trust the BBC's weather service, what can we trust? Yeah. Well, we've now well, the other thing we can't trust The them. other thing they put out was that amazing um, piece of information about the temperature of the water, where they literally had the water uh, being something like 34 degrees in the Mediterranean. Now, I, don't, I haven't been in the Mediterranean, but I'd be very surprised if it's that hot. I mean, that does seem ridiculous, right? But how about this from Phil, who's listening? He says, that BBC journalist tweet sprouted exactly the same nonsense as BBC 6pm news yesterday, delivered by their Minister of Truth, Ros Atkins, who's the guy that keeps giving us an explainer. He hasn't given an explanation as to how Simon Jack got it wrong, or how, what happened to Hugh Edwards. He's no explainer about the weather. Um, and he said, I thought he'd gone missing after the Hugh Edwards debacle. <laughs> I mean, talk about a bad week for the BBC. It's, I think it's been a pretty bad month for the BBC, actually. But uh, th- look, I suppose if we're trying to be positive about this, yeah. the good news is that actually uh, the truth is coming out and we're exposing these people for what they are, yeah. for who they are, yeah. and for actually charlatans. the charlatans and the agenda that they are trying to mislead everybody on. Mm. And what happens is you then get sort of basically gullible muppets like Just Stop Oil, who I actually this morning, mm. I can reveal exclusively. Yes. Uh, I've had another interaction. Oh, have with. you? Yes. Well, Brilliant. I don't know who, whether I'm stalking them right. or they're stalking me. Okay. But I'm just walking here uh, and I suddenly hear a noise and right. I look, peep my head around the corner and sure enough, there they are. There they are. There they are. Well, you don't have to go far, do you, these days before you can <laughs> anyway, find a picket line of Just Stop Oil they, bozos. They turned tail and legged it. Did they? And took off their placards. So whether they saw me and thought, we mm. don't want an interaction with Tice, I don't know. They disappeared down the right. tube of, of the borough tube right. uh, and being pursued in hot pursuit by three coppers. Brilliant. Yeah. It is becoming like a sort of carry-on caper, isn't it? But Just, I mean, the trouble is, there was that incident yesterday, which I have to say could have turned out, I don't know what the end result was, but could have turned out to be incredibly dangerous, where some of them were pouring oil actually on the road, and one of them was such a moron that she slipped and fell and cracked her head on the road. But, you know, pouring oil on a road is, I would suggest, um, um, a, a serious criminal activity, absolutely. which could result in, in, in uh, injury to, to car drivers, it could result in motorcycles spinning off, people could die. I mean, what are they doing? Uh, it, it, it is. Um, I tell you what they're doing. They're getting ever more desperate yeah. because we're onto them mm. and we're exposing them in multiple different ways. And they're getting, they're panicking, they're squealing, they're getting more desperate. And the irony of it, I mean, the the, the demo yesterday 
by the uh, by the, the, the opposition yes. with their their lovely T-shirts. Yes, um, the sort of pranksters from YouTube just stop annoying everybody. Yeah, exactly um, right. And so I think this is. Um, I, I'm hoping that in the same way I think we may be seeing peak woke. Mm. I think we might be seeing peak net zero madness because it's all linked into that. It's all linked into that agenda, and I think that uh, people are waking up and realizing we're not being told the truth. No. Exactly right. Um, now, I'm told that we've got a side-by-side -side image of uh, you and somebody called Sarah Dyke from the Lib Dems. Um, right. <laughs> I don't know what this is about. I have no idea because nobody's told me. Um, and we still don't have it anyway. So, excellent. That's Why don't you go get a job at the BBC? They're looking for people like you. Completely useless. Hopeless. I don't know what that's about. Let's talk about the doctor's strike. Have you seen this quote this morning from this character who claims to be an oncologist, right? Um, who's basically saying, it's great fun at the moment because we can make even more money because of the strike. This guy uh, has got a name. Uh, where is it? Can I find it now? Um, let me find it. Here he is. I mean, um, his name is Clive Peedle, a consultant oncologist in Middlesbrough. He said he didn't strike on Thursday, but he's going to strike today. He said, the good news is I will lose a day's pay on Friday, but I'm going to claim BMA rates for my extra ad hoc clinic work, which will be paid at three to four times my normal hourly rate. Hence, cancer patients will not experience any delay or harm, and I will be financially better off. I'm happy to repeat this action for as long as it takes. This is going to cost the government a fortune. Well, hang on. If he's on strike today, mm -hmm. how can he have the cheek and the gall to say that cancer patients will not suffer any harm? If he's not uh, helping people, diagnosing people, treating mm. people, yeah. then they are clearly, given the rapacious nature of cancer and the way that it sort of invades people's bodies, he is clearly causing harm. He yes. should be out there but he also, helping patients. Where's, but he the, also where's says, the apology for patients? Yeah, but he also says he's doing ad hoc clinic work. So presumably this is work that he does on a regular basis. I don't so know he's, be, he's being paid double or is that treble? Well, three to four times, he says, his normal rate. So he will be making an absolute fortune. So he's ripping somebody off, basically, he's ripping, because well, he's paying... I mean, most these, of us just get paid once, yeah, these are and we're B generally satisfied These are BMA rates, right? But he's also... Um, I'm also told by, by a friend of mine who's a doctor um, that she knows of one doctor she saw on the picket line yesterday who makes a minimum, she says, of 350000 a year, and he's on strike. I mean, just... where? where what is going on? How out of touch are these people? Mm. I mean, it's just beggar's belief. Yeah. Absolutely extraordinary. It does. And we've so now he, he got wants, this. We've he, now got this. I still don't know what this picture is. I don't know why we're I'm, doing I'm, it. I'm um, sort of, picture I'm, of you I'm and Sarah Dyke. Mesmerised. What is apparently. it? Who is Sarah? What, who is Sarah Dyke? So she's the uh, Victoria's Lib Dem right. candidate. Okay. So who is? So why are we showing this? Goodness me! I think there's, uh, there might be. Some oh, guess. they're saying she looks like you. Oh my goodness! What? <laughs> I best not comment. Blimey! I'll get in terrible trouble. I can't say it. She looks more like Elon Musk. I think, doesn't she? <laughs> oh dear! Oh, well. oh dear! That was All worth right, doing. Well, Anyway, never mind. Any more ideas like that? You can Any go work for the BBC. Ideas. You know, heaven's sake. Anyway, you'll be back on I'll Sunday. I'll be back on Sunday, and I'm going to be taking some of these people to task mm. big time. Yes, good. Uh, so I'm going to have a... Uh, well, a who knows by then? The who entire city of London may have collapsed in itself. It may be an inn in inferno, yeah. or it might be so cold. In fact, the weather for the next week, <laughs> the forecast in the UK is absolutely dire. Yeah. Get your thermals ready because uh, that will be the next thing for the BBC. But if they're, they're forecasting that it'll be cold, it'll yeah. probably actually be hot. It will, um, no <laughs> doubt. I mean, what's the next thing the BBC will get wrong? Uh, who can say? Uh, this is the Independent Republic, Mike Graham. Richard, thanks very much indeed. He's back at 10 o'clock on Sunday. Don't miss it. Uh, we've got more to come uh, on the election results from yesterday. Peter Cardwell joins us next. On the app, on your mobile, talk radio and talk TV. 
Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Much to do between now and one o'clock. Peter Cardwell will be in for that. Uh, coming up later on in this hour, uh, Ryan Perry is going to be here. Ryan Savy is going to be here uh, with the update from the Sun's political desk. Uh, we'll run the line over the results from last night, the three by-elections. Selby and Ainsley by-election result, of course, uh, where the Labour Party managed to get a swing of 23.7 uh, to win against the Tories. The Conservatives to Lib Dems down in uh, Somerset and Froome swing was 29% but in Uxbridge the Tories actually won. So what, what I'm going to be saying to you this morning uh, is basically it's a lot better result for uh, Rishi Sunak than it actually was for Keir Starmer because Keir Starmer should have won Uxbridge. Uh, in the end, he's only won one seat out of three, uh, which is not exactly forward for Britain, is it, for the Labour Party? 03444991000. We'll be talking about Alicante coming up as well because uh, that's trending. We raised this subject yesterday. as the BBC not content uh, with maligning Nigel Farage at the behest of Coots and their chief executive who said that basically they'd given up on his account because he didn't have enough money. That turned out to be wrong. Simon Jack, the business editor, has still refused to apologise. He tried to issue some kind of clarification today, but it doesn't look good. And meanwhile, the climate editor uh, is absolutely off on uh, some kind of mad assault, trying to convince people it's going to be 40 degrees plus in Alicante in southeast Spain, uh, when it's nowhere near that. It's about 32. And so loads of people have been uh, posting pictures from Alicante, posting uh, various tweets tweets on social media uh, and, and, and elsewhere, saying that I don't know why the BBC is ramping up this kind of climate scare tactic, because it isn't anything like what they're suggesting it is. So if I were you, I wouldn't bother believing anything the BBC tells you, whether it's about politics, whether it's about weather, whether it's about football, whether it's about anything. Stick with Talk TV. We'll tell you the truth. Let's talk to Jonathan Gullis, Conservative MP for Stoke-on-Trent. Jonathan, very good morning to you. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad at all. I don't know whether you agree with me that uh, actually the Tories have had a slightly better night than perhaps many were expecting. Well, I think, I think it's totally fair to say that actually the Conservative Party hasn't had the night that some commentators wanted or wished for it to have. Mm. At the end of the day, if you look at the Selby result, which is, of course, disappointing, Labour actually only gained 2,500 votes on what they achieved in 2019. In Somerton and Froome, it was 4,100 votes that they picked up there more than their 2019 result with the Liberal Democrats. So mm. actually what we are seeing firsthand is a apathetic Conservative vote, understandably, at this moment in time, because ultimately uh, they want us to see deliver. They want to see an end to the games that have been dragged out uh, by the end of 2022. And I think that what we are starting to see with Uxbridge in particular is where Labour are in control of something, as that is the case in London, as is in the case of Wales, that actually they're pretty dangerous to have in place. They chase this very extreme green agenda, yeah. willing to make people poorer for no reason at all, pushing this whole woke agenda nonsense around pronouns into our cl and gender ideology into our classrooms, and ultimately don't know how to run and look after public finances. The NHS in a worse state in Wales than any other part of our United Kingdom. So ultimately, I think that Labour still got a lot of questions to answer, and Sir Keir Starmer has got to learn to stop flip-flopping every opportunity and actually start saying what he actually mm. believes in, other than I'll say whatever I think Twitter wants me to say. Well, that's right, because for Labour to only win one of the three by-elections, I would say it's pretty poor. They can't be that happy inside the Labour Party headquarters this morning, can they? Uh, absolutely not. Like you say, the, if you look at national opinion polls, they should be sweeping the board. Mm. And actually what we saw in, Som in Somerton and Froome is that I think their vote went down by uh, 10%. Well, they lost their deposit, though, I think, didn't they? Lost their deposit, like you say, and, uh, and the Lib Dems, vice versa, in uh, Selby as well. So actually, I think this is a, a real obvious sign here that actually Labour aren't on course to win some whopping majority. Ultimately, the Liberal Democrats are clearly outperforming them 
in some parts of the country. And the Conservatives need to do as much as they can do to convince those voters who are currently sitting at home. Because, of course, these by-elections were around 45%, I think it was, on average turnout, rather than the yeah. 67% that we know would normally be in a general election. But we have to give them a reason to vote for us, Mike, because you've been banging on for a long time now. We need to get back to common sense. We need yeah. to make sure that we're actually stopping the votes. Of course, we need to improve the economy, but we also need to be brave and bold. So we should be saying or starting the process of saying we're scrapping the BBC licence fee. We should be willing to say in our manifesto it's time to withdraw from the ECHR because we shouldn't have courts in Strasbourg frustrating the will of this British uh, democratically elected parliament. We should be saying that when it comes to VAT on fuel or in uh, on and green taxes on our energy bills that they're going to be scrapped. We should be saying that if we're going to obviously go further in the North Sea and we're going to obviously use coal in our country rather than import it, because that's actually better for the environment uh, than importing from Russia, China or wherever else. And ultimately, hmm. we also need to be saying to people that we're going to continue on the levelling up agenda, which Boris Johnson won that decisive election victory on in places like Stoke-on-Trent. They've seen over £100 million worth of investment, which will make a huge change to our local area. And, and what are you hearing from uh, the sort of central office computers this morning? What are you hearing from what's the message being given out uh, from the Conservatives? Because last night I know that before the results came in, uh, certainly Kate McCann was talking about getting messages from, from some Tories saying, you know, obviously we're going to have to learn from this. We're going to have to get out there and, and, and get the message across better. Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, Mike, it won't shock you that uh, I, I'd normally take my own line. I don't really go and check what the line is meant to be. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, mean, I don't mean I don't mean you with. should. I don't mean you should do that. I just wonder what they're actually saying to you. No, of course, no. Look, the, the key message from the party chairman, of course, the prime minister as well, is that you know there's still a long way to go. We've got to deliver on these five pledges. If we deliver on the five pledges or make significant progress in them, that people will then be willing to listen to what it is of a long-term vision under Rishi Sunak will look like. But I also think that we should be making it very clear, and I will be feeding in via my whip uh, later today, mm. that we've got nothing to lose. We don't need to necessarily pass lots of new laws. We've got existing laws which give ministers power to do certain things. We should be going brave and bold, putting that very clear, definitive line between us and the Labour Party, as well as the Liberal Democrats, and putting some ideas out there that resonate with the great British public. We see that the Illegal Migration Act, as it now is, has actually got support even of the majority of Labour voters. Mm. So ultimately, we should be now putting the BBC licence fee, uh, removing green taxes on energy bills, uh, obviously looking potentially at onshore wind where it's appropriate right. to help fuel uh, our, uh, our energy sector, uh, actually delivering on these small nuclear modular reactors, making sure that obviously the levelling up agenda is actually being delivered with all the billions that have been given out by a Conservative government, as well as, as I say, looking at the ECHR, something that continues to be used to frustrate the will of this country, yet other countries who have signed up to it have far worse derogation rates than we do. Mm. It's clearly not fit for the modern world. And we should be putting this in a manifesto. Yeah. And what Absolutely defend. right. Well, the, th the problem with, with, with the, the, the boats coming, right, we've got more than 14,000 channel crossings, we believe, this year. Um, almost 1,000 came in two days this week after the migrant bill was passed. You know, clearly the, the human traffickers haven't got the message that it, they need to stop doing what they're doing. No, absolutely. That's why Rwanda is absolutely critical to show that very obvious deterrent. Where we've done that with Albania, of course, that's had a very positive impact. So I think that the Minister for Immigration is set to go to Turkey soon to have conversations where we should do returns there, as well as India. Perfectly frank, we need to make sure that we get returns uh, agreements mm. in place with India, where we know we're seeing a large amount of people illegally coming from to, well, illegally enter our country where they're coming from. But of course, we need to get Rwanda. And I think, Mike, we need to be getting actually other safe third countries 
doing deals right now so the moment Rwanda passes through the court system we can have a flurry of other deals that we're signing and ultimately then get these planes into the sky get these people who have come here illegally uh, deported as soon as possible and shows the British mm. public that we're serious and then actually deliver as you would have known the new Conservatives plan to cut my uh, legal migration by 400,000 so at the very least it's back to that 200,000 figure that it was when we first came in 2019 but of course we then can set out in our manifesto how we can go further and get that reduced by much more. Yeah. yeah, and that will be a challenge. And also, as for the BBC, I don't know what's going on with the BBC, but they seem to have gone completely rogue of late. I mean, never mind what happened with Hugh Edwards. We've had um, Simon Jack, the business editor, uh, producing a story which is completely untrue, which he has yet to apologise for about Nigel Farage and Coots. Uh, he's refusing to answer questions as to where his source was, whether it was, in fact, a senior member, possibly the CEO of, of uh, NatWest. We've also got this madman on the loose in Alicante, Justin Rowlatt, the climate editor, telling everyone, and with BBC Weather's help, telling everyone that it's going to be 40-odd degrees in Alicante. It's now trending on Twitter because it's not. People are in Alicante saying it's 32. You can look at any weather app which will tell you it's in the 30s, it's not in the 40s. What is going on? Why are they trying to convince us that Europe is hotter than it actually is? I don't really understand what's going on, Mike, to be perfectly honest with you. And with regards to the weather, I've seen plenty of graphics where we saw high 30s, even low 40s temperatures displayed even a decade ago on the BBC, yeah. which didn't have this very red, very dangerous looking right. uh, weather map. Ultimately, of course, uh, you know, 40 degrees is hot. We should be safe and hydrate and make sure. Yeah, we but it isn't 40. De- yeah, but it's not but 40 should... degrees, though, Jonathan. No, I agree. It's Sorry, not I true, agree, Mike. No, of course it is, Mike. What I'm saying is that we should also rely on common sense of British people to understand how to look after themselves. And as you say, we should be accurately reporting what actually the weather is mm. in countries. We shouldn't be pushing what appears to be, I don't know, some agenda, perhaps. I think it's a massively serious problem because if you can't trust what the BBC says about the weather, what can you trust them about? When you get BBC stars like Gary Lineker uh, also talking, blaming, you know, rising temperatures in Europe, I think in drilling in the North Sea, right. I mean, the mind boggles. And as for Simon Jack, I think if the CEO of NatWest, who I bank with, by the way, so I'm very concerned by what Nigel Farage has brought to the public's yeah. attention. I bank with him my entire life. In fact, from a teenager mm. up until now. So about 20 years, I think I've been a customer of that bank. Right. So if, if the CEO of NatWest is going to apologise, why on earth is Simon Jack not apologising to Nigel Farage for peddling what, of course, appears to not have been an accurate account. Mm. And in fact, the documents from Coots themselves are very concerning. And I think that Nigel Farage uh, is an absolute hero for bringing this to our attention. He's certainly long overdue, I think, let's be frank, Mike, a knighthood. Mm. If we were, I'd love to see Nigel in the House of Lords. I think he'd make an excellent representative, far better and far more representative of the people of this country than some of the uh, dinosaurs that are currently in there. Yeah. And yeah. actually would therefore actually bring about real democracy. I'm sure a lot of people would agree with you. Finally, let's talk about uh, consultant doctors. There's a consultant oncologist uh, who's uh, quoted in the Times today. I don't know if you've seen this. A guy called Clive Peedel from Middlesbrough, who's looking forward very much to go on strike today because he says what he's going to do is he's going to pick up all the patients that he's not going to see today, bring them to his out-of-hours clinic and charge the government three to four times what he would normally get per hour, uh, because those are the BMA rates. And he says, um, I'm going to completely uh, keep this action up for as long as it takes. I will be financially better off and it's going to cost the government a fortune. I mean, what sort of people are they? It's disgusting, Mike. When you hear the BMA pushing this idea that they want to see, what is it, a 35% pay increase yeah. for people who earn at a minimum around £93,000 up to £130,000 and they're claiming that they're struggling. I mean, it's just deeply insulting the people in place like it really is. Who on average earn a hundred pound less per week than the UK average. So you're yeah. telling people at Stoke on Trent that their health 
is meaningless because you need to, I don't know, maybe heat your swimming pools or buy, look after your second home or top up uh, your Buy Range another Aston Martin. No, exactly, buy another Aston Martin. I mean, these guys just need to get into the real world. And for the fact that someone is now looking to shamelessly profiteer off strike action, well, I think they should be quite fine. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You struck off the uh, medical. That's what I would do. I mean, if they want to work in the private industry, then let them go and do it. But they should not be uh, poisoning the well at the NHS and they should not be doing in any way harm to people who cannot see them today because they can't be bothered going to work. I think it's absolutely disgraceful. It's, it's shameful. And like I say, I'll have people filling up my inbox telling me that, you know, very serious ailments that need to be seen. And because some people want to play games and actually take advantage in the case of Clive there that you quoted, uh, rather than actually doing what they're meant to do. And I think they're pretty much there's some sort of I'm pretty sure medical oath that you kind of effectively swear yeah. where you're uh, obviously, uh, bearing, you know, that you're going to put the patient first. First, this, do no harm is, is what it says. Exactly, do no harm. And the fact that these people, as I say, at the minimum are earning £93,000 a year. Some of these people are earning more than the Prime Minister, for God's yeah. sake, uh, yeah. on an average annual income. So these people need to get their heads out their backsides and actually into GP surgeries or into hospitals and actually stand up mm. for the great British public and do the right thing and help us tackle the backlog. Absolutely right. Jonathan, good to see you. Thanks very much indeed. Jonathan Gullis, Conservative MP for Stoke-on-Trent, because, of course, um, he, like me, thinks the BBC seems to have gone mad. They seem to have gone rogue. What's going on? And they've all drunk the Kool-Aid and decided that, you know, they're going to just start telling a load of lies and pretend it's news or the weather. Here's the weather report. Uh, look outside. It's snowing. There's a blizzard going on. That's effectively what they're doing. It's not snowing, by the way. It's actually quite normal weather for July, a rather cold July here in the United Kingdom. Coming up next, we're going to be speaking uh, to Nigel Jacklin, uh, who's from the No to North Eye campaign down in Bexhill, yet another part of Britain where the government wants to put migrants in a disused army prison camp. I don't think so. This is Talk TV. 
Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, Peter Cardwell in for Ian Collins. Uh, Kevin O'Sullivan coming up at three o'clock, of course, uh, followed uh, by Vanessa Feltz. And then Plank of the Week, 7pm tonight. You don't want to miss that. Uh, it is the big show of the week. And of course, uh, you might get a mention if you are a banker. Just remember that. Let's talk now, though, uh, to Ryan Saby, Deputy Political Editor of The Sun, because, of course, uh, a couple of big political stories doing the rounds this week, not least the banking story, the, che- uh, the checkmate, as it's called in, uh, uh, in, the, uh, in The Sun this morning, uh, the Coots the boss, the Nat West boss, issuing a grovelling apology uh, for debanking Nigel Farage. That story has still got miles and miles and miles to go, I suspect. But, Ryan, let's kick off, uh, if we may, with the results from last night. I mean, I've said that a much better night for the Tories than perhaps they expected. Um, and it's, it's still sort of the jury's still out a bit on Keir Starmer, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think if you had spoken to uh, Labour MPs or Tory activists who'd been out and about on the ground in the, uh, in the, th- in the three by-election seats um, over the past week or so, there was some, it was lukewarm enthusiasm for him, really. Tory MPs have been out this morning saying, there's no overwhelming love for him. And it does seem like um, that's the case. So I think Labour Labour strategists will be sort of scratching their heads this weekend about how to sort of buoy up the troops and get that real sort of enthusiasm for him going before the next election. Um, I, I don't really think they can plan for um, that Blair enthusiasm they had in the sort of 95 to 97 period before Tony Blair uh, came to office. But they're going to have to try and find a, a spark um, just to try and get the public sort of warmed him a little bit and try and get that connection between um, the voters and uh, the Labour leader. Yeah, because, I mean, you would have expected the Labour uh, uh, sort of at least to win. You know, we're never going to win the one down in the southwest, but they should have at least won the other two. And to only win one out of three, it's a bit limp, really, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I, think, uh, the cons- I think as well, you've got to bear in mind that this is a game of expectation management. And the Tories did a very, very good job of that. Um, they were saying all over the, over the past 10 days or so, um, they, were, they were down and out in all three seats. They weren't going to win. So to the fact that they picked up Uxbridge um, just shows that, that, you know, that they, they feel like there's a, there's a, there's a glimmer of hope there. Mm. It, the, you know, the, the flame, that election flame, election winning flame is still alive. And they've got something to grasp onto. But um, as you say, Labour would have thought, you know, would, would, I think they would have looked at the, uh, at the Uxbridge seat and thought they could, uh, they could get that. But uh, it was that Ulez, um policy. Um, it just didn't play very well over there in Uxbridge in West London. Well, it's not going to play very well anywhere in, in sort of the outer London areas that they want to expand it into. And I wonder whether there will now be a bit of a bun fight between Sadiq Khan and the sort of Labour leadership in Westminster because Sadiq Khan might not want to do what they want him to do, which is ideally to drop the whole idea. Yeah, you'd have thought so. And I think the, the Labour MPs, there's a bit of an internal war going on um, uh, this morning, over over that policy, Labour are trying to fight on all fronts on the on the cost of living crisis. They haven't stopped talking about it. Um, they keep talking about the Torage, Tory mortgage bombshell. Um, you know, following on from uh, Liz Truss's premiership, but at the same time, they're talking about that. But they uh, the, there's a Labour mayor who wants to introduce a twelve pound fifty charge every time you uh, some people drive drive their car. So. Um, that was the real, real difficulty for them. So they're, 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 I think there certainly will be internal discussions. Whether it changes anything, I'm not quite sure. Sadiq Khan doubling down this morning, and it doesn't look like that policy is going to change anytime soon. It comes in at the end of uh, yeah. uh, next month. So realistically, this is not going to happen. Well, unless, of course, the Judicial Review comes back and says that his his move to make it happen was, was unlawful, which could happen. 
yeah, I mean, th there is that out. There is that outside chance. Um, it does seem that uh, that that that, that policy will go ahead. There's, uh, so certainly from Sadiq Khan's point of view, um, there's going to be yeah. no change. No, absolutely right. So I mean, I had a call this morning from a, from somebody who said, you know, is Keir Starmer going to Neil Kinnock figure uh, for this particular uh, century? Because maybe he is. Maybe he's that guy that people don't quite trust to run the country. And when it finally does come to to putting that X where his uh, his party is. It doesn't quite happen for him. Yeah, there is there is, there is that sense that the, the, the public haven't taken to him too much. But on the other hand, with where he is in the opinion polls, does he actually need to do a great deal? The, the, the tide is, is moving towards Labour. And to get to become prime minister is, is a big task for Labour. They have to win uh, 120 odd seats uh, just to get that majority of one. Mm. But even if they are that smallest party, um, the, the, the big sorry, the biggest party with no majority, they have got people who can who can prop them up a little bit. The the Liberal Democrats uh, could stand by them. The the SNP could could prop them up and get a Queen's speech through, get a finance bill, get that budget through Parliament. So Labour part the Labour Party in Parliament do have friends. And on the flip side of that, it seems like the Conservatives have run out of friends. The Lib Dems are not going to uh, prop them up again. You look mm. back to what happened in uh, 2010 to twenty fifteen. That's not happening. You're certainly not going to get the SNP or even the DUP um, who are going to who are going to come to the uh, run to the aid of the Conservative yeah. Party. So Labour are in a in, they're they're in a in a good position. They almost don't need to be as much as they'd like a, a majority. They you know to get into Downing Street, they don't need to be um, that that have that massive majority. No, and we know the Lib Dems always get very excited at by-election time, don't they? They won a big one uh, down in Somerset and Froome, but I mean it doesn't really change much for them, does it? I don't think massively. We always see these, uh, in general terms, Lib Dem seats. They mm. win them in by-elections. They throw the absolute kitchen sink uh, <laughs> at these seats. You can rep You can do that. You can do that. You know, during by-elections when you're fighting when you're fighting one or two seats. But when you're fighting, you know, dozens and dozens of seats, it's very very difficult when you've got um, when you've got limited resources. So. Um, I, th I think the, the Lib Dems, they feel like they're back in the game, certainly in that West Country, but to replicate that across the whole country um, is going to be difficult. But they do fancy some seats in uh, in Surrey. They're going after those um, those big beasts, those Tory big beasts down there, Jeremy Hunt's seat, uh, Dominic Raab's old seat. You know, he's not standing next time. Uh, and, and Michael Gove, who's down there. So they are they are, they are are looking at those seats and they want to win those. They, they feel like it's uh, it's good territory for them. Yeah. Speaking of Michael Gove, I see he's under a bit of pressure today uh, because he has sort of uh, kiboshed the idea that Marks and Spencers could, could reinvent themselves on Oxford Street and knock down that big flagship store they've got. Uh, he's, for some reason, said they can't do it. Yeah, I thought the language from the Marks and Spencers boss yesterday was extremely punchy. Um, yeah. I think... Marks and Spencers have basically spent the best part of two years planning for this. Um, and I think there had been agreement all, all the way through. The plans had already been there. They were going to change this and turn it into a big, uh, you know, lots of different stores, mm. you know, different departments within that main Oxford Street flagship st store. And Michael Gove has just come down at the last minute, you know, been waiting for this decision. He's just said, no, you can't go ahead. So for actually to see a, ch a chief executive, a big boss of one of these companies be so strong, and uh, come out against Michael Cove's decision was actually quite telling, I thought. Yeah, and I don't know why, quite whose side everybody's on on this one because there's the commercial people from Marks and Spencers who want to sort of redevelop Oxford Street. Um, there's a plan to redevelop Oxford Street in general to try and make it a bit less sort of cowboy looking with all those terrible candy stores. But then there's the sort of green brigade as well. It's not clear uh, who wants to preserve it for historical purposes or whether somebody else, you know, wants to do something else with it. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, for, for, for you know, whenever I walk down Oxford Street, you think it needs uh, it needs some sort of revamp. It is depressing, thought, isn't it? Yeah, you thought you look at you look at the streets. Some people have spoken about pedestrianising the, the whole yeah. thing, and whether that would be uh, a time to sort of encourage more tourists. It's you know that these big cities and town centres, you know, are struggling. Um, you know, during the week with lots of people working from home. So you really need to make these places as attractive as you can. Yeah, exactly right. Let's talk finally just about the uh, the Nigel Farage Coots situation. Pictures of Rishi Sunak with the uh, uh, the chief executive uh, of the um, of, of the NatWest Group, Dame Alison Rose, on the front pages today have raised a few eyebrows. Um, is the belief that he sort of pressured her into making that apology to Nigel Farage? I, 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 I don't know. I, th- I think uh, Rishi Sunak would have liked her. Uh, it brought whether they had that direct conversation or not, I'm not quite sure. But the language used by Rishi Sunak at Prime Minister's questions, and he was asked about it yesterday, uh, he was very much uh, in favour of uh, you know the, the freedom of speech argument. And yeah. why, why has this bank account been closed down? Mm. And also, I think one thing was very, very telling was the fact that the Treasury moved so quickly um, to create these changes. And it looks like that will be, if they, the banks don't do it voluntarily themselves, um, that, that law yeah. change and uh, the legislation changes will be made made in made in September. So I think the, the, the strong language from Rishi Sunak certainly made uh, um, NatWest move a little bit yeah. quicker than they probably wanted to. It's an extraordinary PR blunder though, isn't it? Because it's not over yet. And we've got the BBC now embroiled in it as well, because Simon Jack has yet still to make an apology. He's issued a rather bizarre sort of clarification statement this morning uh, on his Twitter account, which doesn't really say sorry at all. It doesn't really explain how he didn't bother to check the story. Yeah, it, it, this this has caused a whole, whole host of problems. Um, I was talking to, uh, I was actually talking to Nigel Farage yesterday about this, and he's written in our paper uh, this morning. And he's actually urging businesses, individuals who've been caught up in this whole furore themselves, they've, had, they've been debanked, to actually get in touch with their in, with their banks and find out why, why mm. it's happened. So uh, he, he's not going to let this uh, one rest. He calls um, the letter, the apology from that West, um, a significant victory, but he, he's not going to let this one die anytime soon. No, and I don't think he should do either. A lot of people really, really wound up about it. Incredible stuff. Ryan, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed, sir. Ryan Sabe, Deputy Political Editor of The Sun. Uh, they're giving his uh, lowdown on what happened last night. And there is definitely still, I would say, a lot of question marks over Keir Starmer, a lot of question marks over his leadership skills, a lot of question marks over, you know, what he actually believes in as opposed to what he doesn't believe in. A lot of people were saying yesterday, oh, well, we kind of know what Keir Starmer doesn't want, but what we don't know is what he does want if he was to become prime minister. And I'm not certain that it is a done deal by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. 0344 499 1000. We'll take more of your calls coming next on Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are here until one o'clock, of course. Peter Cardwell uh, in for Ian Collins, then it's Kevin O'Sullivan, uh, then it's Vanessa. And then, of course, Plank of the Week coming up a little bit later on at 7pm. Uh, you might find that we talk a bit about the climate maniacs and a bit about Coots, that bank that blundered so badly this week. It's been called one of the worst PR disasters of all time. I think that's probably right to say. Uh, got some updated breaking news, though, for you. If, if you're in London or if you were thinking of coming to London, the Tube strikes, which were set to run all of next week, have apparently been dramatically called off. 
According to the RMT and ASLEF, they have suspended the strikes. They were supposed to run from July the 23rd to July the 28th. Glyn Barton, Chief Operating Officer at TFL, said we are pleased that the RMT and ASLEF have suspended their planned industrial action next week. This is good news for London and we will continue to work closely with our trade unions to discuss issues and seek a resolution. So there you go. Um, these things can happen. Uh, meanwhile, the doctors are still on strike, making a fortune and saying it's a great old life because we can just keep charging the government more and more money for when we do the work out of hours. Hugh Andre is here with us, though, from uh, CEO uh, of Force Select, of course, because it is time for this. The Veterans Voice. The Veterans Voice. Now, we started this, what, three weeks ago, three Hugh? Three weeks ago. Um, and it's proving to be very popular. It's proving to be um, uh, something that's cutting through very much to people's um, uh, cares and, and, uh, and, and concerns about what's happening in not only in our armed forces, but to people who leave after they've been in them. Yep. So, so thank you once again for being here, and thank you for, for coming up with the idea, because I think it's been a great thing for, for me to do. Um, to, to bring the attention of, of our audience to, 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 to what a lot of people are having to go through. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's thanks, thanks for the opportunity here, Mike, that mm. we've been able to get the Gulf War veterans yes. vaccination case um, into the Office for Veterans Affairs. Right. And just before I came on today, I've had confirmation that myself and uh, Hillary Meredith Beckham, yes. the uh, lawyer, the lawyer representing yeah. them, will be meeting with Johnny Mercer in September. So yes. thank you to Mr Mercer. You've been having a few conversations with Mr Mercer, haven't you, in the last three weeks? <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, look, he's a really good guy. He's yeah. got great intentions. Mm. He's just up against it. Sure. Um, but yeah, but probably the first bit of news we had this week was mm. his boss, yes. Ben Wallace, has resigned. Yeah. Uh, my own personal opinion is he just decided the time was right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think he's had a pretty good four years, mm. despite having not much money to spend. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, he and I served together at the same time, so right. we've got a lot of uh, he's thought mutual to be, friends. He's thought he's, to have been a reasonably good yeah, um, I, I, minister, yeah. I think, hasn't he? He's been a good Conservative MP, he's been a good Conservative minister, he's going to step down from both of those roles in the sort of yes. relatively near future. Yes, and everyone likes to sort of guess why he's doing mm. it and read into it. And I think, honestly, he's just had enough. He's got yeah. a family and he wants to perhaps start and open a new yeah. chapter in his life. And, and I think, you know, it? we spend an awful lot of time giving politicians a hard time on mm. this show. And it's not, it's actually, you know, it's not, and I often say this, it's not right to say that they're all, you know, um, you know, on the take and just, you know, having a great time and no, enjoying life. It's a hard job. Yeah, They do is. a lot of hours. Look, you're sticking your hand up and you're volunteering and we always, yeah. we all know, never volunteer for anything, mm. but they do. Yeah. Um, and to me, it was a real mark of the guy that, you know, he could have, he could have put his name in the hat yeah. to be the leader. Mm. And he actually said, no, yeah. I'm, a, I'm about defence, I'm about right. the military people. You know, I can remember very well that very emotional interview he did um, saying, look, mm. you know, he actually nearly said, I am a soldier and, right. <laughs> and not anymore. But right. I know where he's coming from. So right. look, he gets, he gets, you know, tick from me. Yes, I think so. So uh, this week we're looking at employment challenges facing veterans. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it, it's something that, you know, I've been involved with for 13 years. Um, and you know, sometimes I, I, I feel myself sort of aligning my views to certain other minorities, mm. which get a bit of a hard time mm. for whatever reason. But, hey, we live in a democracy. We're entitled to be who we are, say what we want to do, etc. And that's great. But quite often I feel that the veterans get treated like 
minorities mm. you know they're either broken they need to be told what to do they've all got mental health issues mm. none of them can leave a, you know they've all got a drink issues right. and or whatever right. that is not the case and right. this is why you know part of the reason i wanted to do this piece is to change the narrative yeah we've got to view them as assets and by the way we the taxpayers have mm. paid for them all to be trained yes you know and as i always bang on about whenever this country has a problem an issue a challenge mm. who do we call not the ghostbusters we call the military yeah and so what we need to do what we need employers to do is just start thinking a little bit outside of the box um, one of my clients uh, I made aware of that the government has offered all employers 12 months uh, national insurance holiday yeah. if you take someone out of the military. That's, that can be as much as £6,000 mm. yeah. of savings for a year. Right. Well, if you're lacking in skills, now these guys and girls will turn up for work. Mm. They're, they're doers. They'll go and look for things to do and make things happen. Mm. But you're right; they might not have the right qualification. Well, now all of a sudden you've got six thousand pounds in your training budget to invest in people. You know, and again, the sooner employers start viewing their people mm. as an investment and not a cost, yeah, you know, that that, that gain changes. Yes. The sort of attitude. and do you think it's possible that people don't even think about it? They don't go. Well, I wonder if we could go and look into the kind of armed forces area to recruit some people from there. Absolutely. I had a, I had a wonderful phone call um, from a viewer um, last week. Yeah. Uh, he called me up and um, her name's Joanne, so she knows who she is. Yeah. And when we got speaking, she explained that she was you know, in a minority group, which happened to be the minority transgender, right. etc. She said, so I kind of feel how I know how they feel. And for yeah. the record, my son's in the military. Yeah. What oh, amazing. And she said, and I work for a small company called BP. Right. And I think we can use people like that. Mm. So, you know, there are positives. People just need to think outside of the box and realise that at the end of the day, look at their skills, look at their... their you know, their, their, their common sense approach to mm. getting things done. But right. We're going to hear from someone, actually, who you know, was a sergeant, who was a, an engineer, and we're going to hear about his personal experiences coming out, okay. finding employment. And this is Michael Jenkins. Michael Jenkins. For, former REME staff sergeant. Yes, so he's a Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineer, okay. dare, dare I say it, Without wanting to get bashed by my own <laughs> mates, friends, and colleagues, yes, the brighter ones in the British Army, right? So yeah, they are mechanical, electrical engineers. Yeah, this country's crying out yeah. for people like that. Well, exactly right. I mean, I worked with the logistics guys in uh, Bosnia when I was there, mm. yeah, and and they were incredible. I mean, they can pretty much do anything. Yeah, Mike, I was asked to provide ten to an automotive company. Yeah in West London a few right. months ago and they said can you get us 10 I said yeah of course mm. where are they based in West London salary right. 24 to 34k a year yeah. I said you've got to be joking mm. yeah, really for a qualified engineer we called 200 possible individuals who said not, not on that and I'm doing HGV right. driving for 30 or 40 pounds an hour right. it wasn't that long ago we had an HGV shortage Right, but guess what? When the remuneration rises, yes. suddenly, suddenly it's a you job. start attracting. Well, it's a job people want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, okay, so let's talk to let's Michael, shall we? Um, Michael Jenkins, former REME staff sergeant. Michael, very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome to Veterans Voice. 
good afternoon. Thanks Thank very much. Uh, for, on the show. Thanks very much indeed for uh, for talking to us. Um, tell us about um, your experience of looking for a job, finding one, um, and and how your time in in the army helped you there. Uh, so basically, my time left in July 2019. I was actually a sergeant, not staff sergeant, but close enough. Okay. <laughs> and um, yeah, so my issue, or my main issue was, I was a senior management. So obviously coming out of the military and going into a uh, management role, the issue I had personally was uh, to, they, they basically said that I lacked commercial experience mm. within the civilian environment, which obviously is true because I wasn't in a civilian environment. But for the overall experience for work-wise, we have massive experience. We've been doing it for years and years, and I've gone up through the ranks, promoted when I should have promoted. So I've done, a, or in my opinion, I did a reasonably good job. But as we said, when we went into Civvy Street, they just couldn't understand what we could offer and what we were experienced in doing within that job criteria. So therefore, they just said that they couldn't take me on mm. within that position. So I said, well, if, what was the offers for lower positions where I can come in work in the environment, build up my commercial experience, and then move up in the commercial world. Right. They said, well, the issue we've got then is you're overqualified. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so being overqualified, you then were told that, you know, you might stagnate, you might become bored, and you'll leave us. So that is equal to, well, we can't take you in a lower position, we can't take you in this position, so therefore you're not right for this job. Right. And so did you have to go elsewhere then, or did you manage to convince them somehow? No, basically, I, I, I literally did this for about five or six different companies and mm. different positions within that management role. I took on a project management qualification, uh, did that. But again, I was qualified, but they said that I lacked the commercial experience within this sector. Right. So, so therefore, I, I basically took a job that I was doing back in the early days of my career, back on the tools, and I became a vehicle mechanic for a local freight company. Okay. And so did your, once you got the commercial experience, I mean, what was so special about the commercial experience that, that you wouldn't have known anything about? Presumably not much. A very, very little. <laughs> Just basically legislation. That was pretty much about it. Right. Because, you know, in, in your time in the, in the army, you would have been faced with all manner of problems that you'd probably never see um, in commercial life. And, and you would have had to solve those because nobody's given you a choice about solving them. You just have to. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It's, it's a case of, obviously, you, you do with it what you have. Mm. And with the British Army the way it is at the moment, money is a big thing. Right. And um, we find ourselves very capable of doing a lot with very little. So you do find that position that you have to conquer things that normal people would never, ever have to experience right. because they have the money and the budget behind them to, to do other means. Right. Because presumably you would have had problems solving... Uh, tasks that you didn't have perhaps the right tools for when you were in the army because you, you're not walking around with all the things that you might need and you have to kind of make do with what you've got right yeah pretty much it was a case of well back in back in the military when you're in the field you as you said you don't have the tools you don't have the equipment necessary potentially yeah. and therefore you have to adapt and overcome and deal with things prag pragmatically yes. so such as green string duct tape anything and anything that you can find or get hold of right. to do what you need to do and when you need to do it for. Quite. So are you now involved in training and retraining other veterans? No, I'm not. I've, I've looked into our company to offer this service to them. So hopefully they'll they'll take that on board and, and understand that we have a, a lot 
of experience to give, a right. lot of training to to pack uh, to carry over. So I'm hoping that the company will see that, and just with a little bit of training, a little bit of guidance, um, they'll be able to jump in both feet and be able to do the job, no dramas. Mike, sorry, Hugh Andre here. Can I ask you a question? Because obviously we spoke before. Um, yeah, go you mentioned to me about an idea that you had, which I, you know, I thought was a great idea, um, and we'll follow up on it. But uh, maybe tell the viewers about your your thoughts on an opportunity in Kent. Yeah, so basically the the opportunity I'm I'm looking into at the moment because I I work a shift pattern. So my luckily for me, my company allows me a lot of time away from my job to do other things. So with it, I've previously discovered that the Royal Engineers in Maidstone are moving out in 2029. Mm. So that barracks will then become vacant. And then what we want to do is basically turn that into a transitional training center for veterans to come in, find affordable accommodation to stay in over that period of time, build up their commercial experience with commercial work placements, build up the training with training that can be provided by ourselves and our partners or other companies that want to take veterans on and see the, the bonuses and bounties that are offered for taking these veterans on. And then from there, then it's basically to build it up and make it bigger and better from from there on. Mm. And is that something that you could achieve? Do you, do you need funding for that? Need money for that? Yeah, fund it. Fund is a big one. So obviously, at the moment, I'm, I run a eulogy page on Instagram for our troops that we lost in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, on obviously, the operations just recently finished. Um, but basically, with that, then we, we're running fundraising to help us fund that project. And then hopefully, as I said, with um, with commercial companies, they'll be able to jump on board and offer their services, and we can offer our services in return. Okay. Well, that all sounds very promising. Michael, listen, good luck with that. Thank you very much for talking to us. Michael, a former REME sergeant, not staff sergeant. I might ask you what the difference is there. Um, we've got a call here from Mike in Somerset, uh, who's a new caller, who wants to talk um, about employment. Um, says he was in the army with you, Hugh. Mike, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike, and good afternoon, Hugh. Mike, uh, Hugh Fuller. is Mike Fuller here. We're um, old friends, going yeah. back a long, long time. Um, and I just want to say, Mike Graham as well, We, I love the show, and I've been listening to you for quite a few months now. Uh, I don't listen to any other radio station, I'm pleased to say. Well done. Um, but, um, no, just a couple of points. First of all, just to say uh, to Hugh, uh, really, really good to see you on the TV Really good to chat whenever we do chat and really grateful for the support you've provided to me over the years. Uh, you might recall that uh, when I had a small business, you uh, you let me use your office space in Holborn. I did, indeed. I wouldn't be able to get for um, uh, the uh, the kind of rent that you charged us for it. So I'm very grateful for that. And it'd be good to see you and have a, have a couple of beers. Just want, but I just want to say, you know, having left the army myself, and not really struggled with the transition as some people do. I think I was quite lucky just to emphasise that a lot, lot of people really do still tr struggle with that transition. And without the support of people like you uh, and other um, organisations that really do endorse, support the value that uh, veterans can add, um, you know, th 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 there are a lot of people that would be worse off than they currently are, but there are still a lot of people that are not getting the kind of support they need and are not being realized for the benefits they can add it's really really important and i'll just give you an example uh, mike around mm. some of the work i've done one in particular which was pre dinghies coming across the channel i was involved in some work with the road horses association to try and stop 
the trucks being attacked and the Channel Tunnel being used years ago, uh, as you might recall, the work that we were trying to do there. What I found extraordinary was the fundamental lack of support and understanding uh, by government of mm. what we could do to benefit Road Haulers Association and other organisations to make uh, the passage for these truck drivers and trains much more secure than they were. Uh, and here we are now, but for the sake of several hundred thousand pounds, probably 15, 16 years ago, we probably would not be in the situation we're in now with people coming across in dinghies. That's just one small example. And of course, I was using employing ex-servicemen to support me with that work. Uh, one guy in particular who sadly has passed away now, but uh, who suffered very badly from PTSD himself uh, years and years ago. But um, I just wanted to say um, hello, really, to Hugh, and, and hello to Mike, and yeah. loving the uh, the radio. Station. Appreciate it. Thanks. Well, Mike. listen, Mike. Thanks for for the information, and good luck with the, your your future endeavours. Um, you just never know um, who's out there, do you? Oh, I had the good fortune <laughs> of uh, serving in Bosnia with Mike, right? And uh, having to, uh, we didn't have any accommodation, and we were sent north to uh, a shoe factory. Mm where to set up a base, and Mike and I lived in an ISO container okay. for six months, right. which in the summer... And whereabouts in Bosnia were you? Uh, in Vitez. Vitez, that's where I was, Vitez, yeah. yes. So, yeah. yeah, but that was just, you know, we created accommodation, mm. and we lived there together. It was either an oven or a freezer, but... Yeah. yeah I, I was living in a house there, and one night I came out of the, the sergeant's mess where I was basically drinking every evening and staggered across, and it was um, there was a lot of mist suddenly had emerged out of nowhere. And somebody from CBS had arrived, quite a sort of veteran uh, CBS um, war correspondent, who but, had a, his own bodyguard. And suddenly there was a guy with a machine gun standing outside the house, which was a bit unnerving, I have to say. Yeah, well, you know, as Mike was saying, and we keep on trying to stress to employers, these, these, these men and women uh, are used to thinking outside the box. Yeah. Just one final example, which mm. springs to mind, we recruited... Uh, someone like Mike Jenkins from the Remi to join a bus company up in Scotland. Um, he looked at uh, how much they were spending on outsourcing the cleaning of the bus's radiators. Yes. Uh, and it was, you can imagine, it was thousands and thousands of pounds. When he looked further, he realised that the uh, radiators on the double-decker buses was the same as those on the Challenger tank. Yes. And he had to clean Challenger tanks in Iraq, in the desert. Right. So he simply got three oil drums, put three different chemicals in, took it all back in-house, and they did it themselves in a matter of hours mm. at virtually no cost. Wow. And so they may lack commercial experience, but they certainly don't lack common sense. No, of course. And I should say, um, Derek Hunt and I have been in contact. He contacted us after last week's episode when uh, we yeah. had the um, the charity um, lady in for, for the... Um, Nikki. The yeah. Nikki, yeah. And, and his son actually appeared in the video... Uh, that we showed and so we're going to try and help him because his his son was one of those who who took his own life sadly yeah um, and he's trying to get him recognized for for being in the armed forces so we're going to see what we can do for, for for that situation and Derek and coming up next week you're going to have Major Ken Hames here yeah we're going to sort of carry on with some, a blend really of this the continuing the employment and training and as you know, Ken was on one of, I think, the first programme, but he's actually established a, a self-build programme. Right. But he, at the same time, he's teaching, training veterans in construction mm. skills, because it's been news this week yet again, the lack of talent in the construction industry. So, yeah, he, he's going to speak, and he's got some really interesting points to make, and it won't surprise you that quite more often than not, mm. the blockers, the red tape, 
come from above. Yes, that does not surprise me. Uh, well, we've reached the end of it again, incredibly. Um, so thank you, Hugh, once again. Uh, and if you are a veteran, a dependent or a family member, and if you have any queries at all, or concerns, or issues you want to promote, uh, and veterans-related events, just call in or text us uh, right here on the number, of course, 0344 499 You can tweet me as well, at IROMG, and you can tweet Hugh, uh, and uh, Hugh Andre as well. And, of course, uh, the, uh, the tweet here as well at Talk TV, and you can find us that way. Uh, this has been The Veteran's Voice. The Veteran's Voice. Coming up next, we'll take some more of your calls. Um, right after this, this is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.